God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time. Enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is. Not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right. If I surrender to your will. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning here on the Canandaigua campus. I want to welcome those on the Hopewell campus as well as on our online campus. Uh, we begin a new series this morning, a four-week series called Serenity. Maybe some of you recognize the Serenity Prayer uh, that happened over video right there. We're going to be looking at uh, four steps that happens within the 12-step study uh, of CR. We're going to focus in on four of them. CR is a ministry that happens here on Crosswinds Canadegua campus on, on Friday nights. And the purpose of Celebrate Recovery is to have fellowship with others and celebrate God's healing power in our lives. And we're looking at these four steps. And again, there's 12 steps within the study they go through. But I want to point out that the steps are rooted in Scripture. That the steps they look at are scriptural principles. They weren't just made up. They're not pop psychology. And so I, re I really believe that as we go over the next four weeks, but God wants to do a deep work, a deep dive work, within each and every one of us. I realize that when we are preoccupied with past hurts, unhealthy habits, and destructive hang-ups, that, that God is not the center. Those hurts and, and hang-ups and, and habits become sort of our, our focus. They consume us. Our, our soul cries out in those situations in deep distress. We, we weren't created for that. God created us to be able to have a deeper life, a life that, that desires for, for Christ to be at the center, for Christ to bring us his peace. In fact, our, our Lord calls us into a relationship with him where our soul is well cared for. He calls us to have a soul with the capacity to enter more and more into a, a relationship that's it's saturated with faith, not just the motion of faith. This life is our connection to eternity and can help us see past struggles and circumstances to see God's hand working in and through our lives. The life God calls us to has given us access to the kind of peace and gratitude and freedom and blessing that can only come through his divine intervention. The simple truth is that in our life's journey, uh, there's just times where we become more and more aware of our need of a Savior. Now, I want to unpack this for a little, for a little bit for us. Like, like, there was a moment in my life, my guess is, is that my testimony is not much different than, than many of yours, uh, a moment where I came to my senses 
and I realized I needed a Savior. And I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, as, as Lord and, and Savior of my life. But, but I, it wasn't intentional, but it happened. Like I received him as Savior, then didn't think that I needed him as Savior anymore. But then all of a sudden, something happened, and I realized, no, 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 no. I need him to be my Savior always. I'm not talking about my savior in the sense of making sure that I'm still in the kingdom. That's not what I'm talking about here. That when I said yes to Jesus and that relationship began, I'm in the hands of God. Nothing can separate me from the hands of God. I'm talking about my daily savior that gives me what I need to be able to live for him and with him and experiences his peace. Now, we all understand that pain and hardship are universal. Like you didn't have to come here to learn that this morning. Pain and hardship are universal, but through faith in Christ, we find hope, healing, and yes, true serenity in God, his peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding. There's an interesting passage. uh, uh, John is recording the very words of Christ for us. And, And Jesus had been speaking about things to come, the kingdom, and this is what we read, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let me, let me just put that in my words if I can, if I dare do so. That, that in this world, there's chaos. Like, like every day when we walk out the doors, maybe we're walking into some type of chaos. I mean, let's be honest, maybe just getting out of bed, we're walking into some type of chaos. And what Jesus says is, I've already overcome that. And the reality of it is we understand that that the full victory we receive in Christ isn't fully ours until we are with him in paradise. Like the tribulation, the chaos is still all around us. But what his promise is this, I've already overcome it. Live as if I've already overcome it. Trust as if I've already overcome it. Let me give you peace in the midst of chaos. And as I shared last week, let, it, let, us, let us be God's people who walk into the chaos and bring his peace. Let's not let the chaos squeeze us into its mold. Let us be transforming agents of God in the midst of the chaos. And Jesus is speaking these words, not to his disciple, but through these words to us. And he's challenging us because our faith is tested and sometimes potently tested. Have any of you ever realized that? Sometimes it's a little test and sometimes it's a big test. And Jesus says, I've already taken care of it. He's overcome the world. He's overcome the chaos. He's, he's overcome these tribulations through his death on the cross and his resurrection. He says, you want to know if I love you? I'll prove it. He went to the cross. He says, you want to know if I have the power to do what I'm saying? I came back from the dead. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. So how then do we walk in this peace? How do we walk in this peace? Well, again, we're going to be looking at steps to help us establish ourselves in the peace of God. And the first step we're going to look at this week is destructive denial. In Christ, we can overcome destructive denial. The denials is what keeps us in part from the peace of God. 
Uh, it's what kept many of us before we said yes to Jesus from saying yes to Jesus. We denied we need him. We denied we could come to him. We denied maybe even the truth of the gospel itself. Maybe you're working through that this morning. And by the way, I'm so glad you're here. But that it's in Christ that we overcome destructive denial. Denial limits and robs us of the life that, that Christ wants to give us, this, this fullness of life offered in him. But the good news is that God is able, when we partner with him, to help us overcome denial. Simply put, denial is, is, rush, is refusing to grant or, or refusing to admit or, or refusing to believe in something. And denial leads us to think we don't need God because we're in power and we're in control. We're large and in charge. How many of you have ever been that trap? I've got this covered. And you know what we do until we realize we don't. But the problem is denial is a powerful thing. And so we can think we've got it covered. We can think we have the power in of ourselves, but we don't. Denial causes us to believe we're okay just the way we are. Just the way we are, we're okay. These words from Jeremiah are so powerful. Uh, I, I, I want to read them to you in the message. I like the way the message words this particular verse, Jeremiah 6.14. It says, my people are broken, shattered, and they put on band-aids saying, it's not so bad. You'll be just fine, but things are not just fine. The point is that you can't heal a wound by saying it doesn't exist. I mean, denial. Several years ago, some of you may recall, I, I, you may re recall this part of the story. This is sort of the wimpy part of the story, but, but, but what caused uh, what's going to happen next, you may recall. I, I was working out on an exercise bike, uh, I have to say not very strenuously, uh, and, and, and my foot slipped off the pedal, and I heard a crack. Now, my first thought is, you can't hurt yourself on a stationary bike. <laughs> like that, that's sort of, right? So it couldn't have been a big deal. I figured, look, I'm getting older. Maybe my bones were just cracking. No, no big deal, no big deal. So I came home. I told my wife about it. But I said, everything's okay. She goes, are you sure you're okay? I said, yeah, it's an exercise bike. It's sort of embarrassing. We sort of laughed about it. The next day, I had a speaking engagement up. I was actually doing a series of seminars up in a church in Rochester. And so I was up at this church doing these seminars. I was on my feet all day. And it was a little sore. But I worked out the day before anyway, so that wasn't unusual. And I sort of thought, you know, it's not that big. It's not hurt. It's not a big deal. Until I got home and could barely take off my shoe because my foot was twice the size of what it should be. And Chris said, my wife said, I think you should get that looked at. And I said, it's not bad. I mean, my foot was twice the size. It's just swelled a little bit. All right. So I called off work the next day. I did do that, and I thought, I'll just put it up for a little bit. You know, it's, it's going to be fine. When she came home, it was bigger. I still said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be Well, the next day, Friday night, I'm at emergency care. They take an x-ray. They said, you must have had a stress fracture, and you broke your foot. I remember, I was several months in a cast or a, or a brace for that thing to heal up. But I denied the whole way through. Not a big deal. First of all, I denied because what a wimpy story. But as a matter of fact, I think God should allow me to lie about that one and just sort of give a better story of how it happened. But just denial, it's not just a physical denial that hurts us so. We can emotionally deny. That didn't hurt. I'm okay. I can take care of it. The swelling will go down. Everything's going to be fine. But overcoming denial begins and only really begins when we admit that we are powerless 
to overcome past hurts, unhealthy habits, and destructive hang-ups in our own strength. We realize we can't do it in our own strength. But it it really does take a divine intervention. I I love the book of Romans. I really do. And and I love Romans chapter 8. But there's an interesting thing that happens in Romans chapter 7. Paul, for six chapters, has has laid out this, this beautiful explanation of the gospel. Just an amazing explanation of the gospel. And then in seven, he lets us in on his inner struggle a bit. And listen to a little bit of what he writes, Romans 7, 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. In fact, in chapter seven, he goes on and he says, it's interesting. He says, the things that I want to do, like the good things I want to do, I find I'm not doing but the bad things I don't want to do, they come a little easier. Ever had that happen? Ever go into a conversation that you just knew was going to be difficult and you had this ideal how you were going to react and I'm going to do this, and then what comes easier is what comes out of your mouth? Come on now. Paul's experiencing that. And it's frustrating him because he's a believer. He knows he's, he's made this decision for Christ. And, and yet, why is this happening? I thought the old self was dead. I thought I'm a new person. All this being true. But what he writes seems is so hopeless unless we look at it in context. See, what Paul is understanding is that in his own strength, he's powerless to become the person God has created him to be. Like he can't manufacture it. When he tries to do it in his own flesh, when he tries to do it in his own strength, he just messes it up. That's sort of part of my testimony. How about yours? God, I got this. The Lord goes, I don't think so, but we'll see what happens. And Paul's experiencing that. And then listen to what he writes toward the end of that chapter, verses 24 and 25. He writes, he writes wretched man that I am. Now, that's someone who's come out of denial. <laughs> like, he's looking at himself, he's like, there's just something wretched happening here, right? He's not really putting himself down. He's just being honest. He's just saying, there's just something wrong. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He says there's this inward sinfulness, he says, is, is, is like a fatal disease. He says, who, who is going to, is there a remedy? Is there a cure? And the answer is yes. It's found in the very same verse. The, the remedy, our deliverance, is provided through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That, that the reality of it is, is that Jesus is the remedy. And Paul realizes that. In fact, that's why when you go into Romans 8.1, you've heard me quote this quite a bit because it's my, my favorite chapter, one of my favorite verses of all Scripture. And by the way, in the original scriptures, there was no chapter and verse, and so they tie together, okay? Sometimes the chapters make us think it's a whole new thought. It's the same thought. Who's going who's gonna to help me here? Who's going to be my It's Jesus Christ. And it says, Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no fear of punishment because Jesus already paid the price. And so our walk with God is one already based upon love and grace and power. When we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we enter into his peace, this peace with God. It's rooted in in the precious love of our Lord. So defeating denial comes first through this work of salvation. We we, we admit we we, we need a Savior. 
We come to Christ and, and, and we're saved. Salvation is where we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that offers us peace with God. See, the scripture is really clear. The wage of sin is death. In other words, when life is over and we stand before God, it's not a matter of did we do more good than bad. Because if that were true, then who's our measure? Is it Mother Teresa? Is it Billy Graham? Because if it is, I'm in real trouble. I mean, what, what is the measure, right? It's God who's the measure. Now I'm in huge trouble. The wage of sin is death. Any finite sin against an infinite God has infinite consequences. And, and so picture it. We stand before God and, and it's time to pay up. And the penalty is what? We owe a debt we can't pay. We just can't do it. Jesus, praise God, paid a debt he didn't know. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, loved us so much, wanted us to be, have peace with God. They said, they can't pay it, but I can. And so here he is, Jesus, the God-man, goes to the cross, dies for our sins so we can be saved. Now, if salvation is the first step in defeating denial, defeating denial is the second step, is the work of sanctification. Now, sanctification is the cooperative work of God and Christians by which ongoing transformation happens in our life, making us more and more like Jesus. That's what the Spirit of God does in us. That's what Paul was wrestling with when he was trying to do it on his own strength and found a lot more freedom when he was doing it in God's strength and understood that there's grace in this sanctification process. By the way, thank God for that, huh? Some days I'm surprised by how well God does through me, and some days I'm surprised by how I haven't let God do as much as I should have through me. All right, I thought I was alone on that. I was, I was feeling really alone, Greg. I was feeling really alone. I needed some, I needed some support. So if salvation gives us peace with God, it's sanctification that gives us peace in God. Like that's where the peace that surpasses understanding comes. Salvation positionally says you're at peace with God. Like the resources of heaven are now available to you. It's through sanctification that we have peace in Christ and he's able to pour those resources into our life. And it's a life that may look like this, but we're in the hands of God. See, defeating denial secondly comes from the spirit-empowered work in our life. Think about it this way. First, we are set free. Like if you're in Christ this morning, you are free. You may not feel free. You may have other people tell you you're not free, but you're free. It's like we already have victory, even though we're still in the midst of tribulation. Come on now, that's pretty good stuff. But what he wants to do is not just for us to be positionally free, but really to walk in freedom. To have a foretaste every day of the true freedom we have when we're in paradise with him. Like the freedom experience with no tribulation. I've had people say, but it's a great God who can give us a life of peace without chaos. And I'm here to tell you there's a greater God who can give us peace in spite of chaos. That when we give ourselves to him, but he does this work in us. And this important step, we gotta, we gotta overcome denial in his name. Now, I've asked a good friend of mine, Greg Emerson, if he would come up and share his, his testimony. 
I've gotten to know him since being here, and uh, he, he is one of the most encouraging people I've ever met in my entire life. Is that okay with the, we're not going to, you cleaned your hands, we're all right? All right. I said last night he's infectious, but I realize culturally right now I shouldn't have said that. No. So no. I'll just say his exciting, his exciting nature is contagious in a good way. But share your testimony with us. Thank you, Craig. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who's in recovery for alcoholism, drug addiction, anger, and relationship issues. My name is Greg. <laughs> on the screen here in a minute, it's going to be an acrostic that we use at Celebrate Recovery on Friday, on denial on Friday nights. As I share a few words on my denial experience, see if you can pick out a few of those characteristics in me. I've not always been this transparent about my worldly struggles. In fact, up until about 14 years ago, in 2006, I was in complete denial of the person I had become. Who would I become? I'd become a hopeless, angry, lonely alcoholic who had pushed everyone close to me out of my life, including God. You see, when I was 14 years old, I made a decision that I was the only person I could depend on. I was in a broken home where my parents had divorced, and that was hard on myself and my three siblings. Then shortly after the divorce, my older sister, who was the thread that was holding our broken family together, was killed in a car accident. That was February 11th, 1972. I want you to hold that date. I was devastated, angry, and my decision was made that I would never depend on anyone in this world for anything. That included God. I would control all of my own life, no one else. I actually shook my fist at God. Asking him, how could he do this to me at 14 years old? And so it began. To feel good, I started using drugs and alcohol and people. My thoughts and actions were focused on what benefit I'll get out of it, whether it was work or uh, relationships or just even helping someone. I only thought of me. I surrounded myself with people who I either could manipulate, would enable me, or that I could easily dispose of. I was selfish, self-centered, but it was in such denial I thought I had it all together. My lifestyle, though, was dependent on something, and that was alcohol and drugs. And I was in denial about it. Sadly, I knew how a bottle of vodka would make me feel, and I was comfortable in that. I put my trust in that. I didn't care how my abuse of alcohol or drugs affected anyone around me because I was actually the only one that mattered. In my mid-20s, I got married, and our first son was born on February 11th, 1985. Thirteen years to the day that I lost my precious sister. Today, I realize that God was giving me a gift and a nudge, but at that time, I didn't even see it. We had a second son four years later, and to tell you the truth, we looked like the all-American family on the outside, 
You know, there was youth baseball, there was basketball, there was football, school functions, all of that stuff. But the inside family was quite different. You see, at that age, I was still just an angry 14-year-old. I was a manipulative man who didn't need anyone. I'd come home, yell at my wife and my kids when things weren't going my way or when it wasn't all about me. I'll tell you what, this type of behavior tends to push people away. And I had never developed any close friends in my life. I was a loner. I had people in my life, lots of people, but I was just a user and abuser. Eventually, even my wife of 23 years had had enough. I was given an option to quit drinking and get help or she would leave. I didn't need help. I chose a bottle of vodka. So here I was in my late 40s, alone, except for my bottle of vodka. My two sons, who meant the most to me at the time, were disappointed. And of course, because of me, their lives were unsettled. And I felt a little bit for the first time in my life that maybe my actions had affected someone else, and I was a little troubled by that. I found myself totally alone and hopeless. I really didn't even want to live anymore. I had used everyone for so many years that I had never built any relationships with anyone that could be there to encourage me or challenge me, except for my sister Debbie. She had turned her life over to Christ back when we lost our sister so many years ago. And for over 30 years, whenever we talked, she would always tell me, I'm praying for you, Greg. And I'd kind of just shrug it off. Now, at this time in my life, she was the only person I really had to confide in. And she kept sharing with me how this God loves me. I didn't see how. After all I had done and turned my back on him. And one day, though, as she was telling me this, I saw that my sister's love for me was some sort of reflection of him. September 13th, 2006, she asked me if I was ready to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I said, yes. And what I said yes to that day, yeah, baby, no. What I said yes to that day was the catalyst for stepping out of my denial. I started coming to this church here, Crosswinds, and I hear about this ministry called Celebrate Recovery. And I'm going to tell you, yeah, woo. I'm going to tell you, I'll never forget the first night I came to Celebrate Recovery. I got into the parking lot, pulled up, and I couldn't get that car door open. I turned around and left. You see, I had spent 35 years doing life my way and in denial, and it was hard to give up control. My sister, though, she kept praying for me, kept encouraging me, and the next time I came, I got out of that car, walked through those doors, and a whole new life opened up in front of me. Yeah, yeah. All right, this was a process, though. When I first started, I didn't think of myself as one of those people. As I continued to come, though, I started to build relationships with men that weren't different than me. They shared the same hurts, habits, and hang-ups. 
And I started hearing more about this God who forgives and loves me unconditionally. For a few months, though, as I was coming, I'd introduce myself as Greg. I struggle with alcohol. You see, I was not able to use the word alcoholic because denial was still present, and I didn't want to admit it. They say you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there, right? It was about six months into participating in Celebrate Recovery when we opened a men's share group, and I introduced myself as, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm an alcoholic. And I was shocked. I'm like, where'd that come from? It was God. And I'll never forget that night driving home down 5 and 20, Toomey's Corners. You probably know where it is. I'll never forget. The tears were just rolling down my face, tears of joy. And I had my first real spiritual experience in my life. And I felt and heard God say to me, welcome home, Greg. And I can tell you. That feeling was better than any bottle of vodka ever made me feel. My new life had begun. Craig just mentioned Romans 8.1, which says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Since I stepped out of my denial, I've gained many new relationships, first with God, with many others. A godly marriage. And most importantly, a restored relationships with both of my sons. You see, I'm dependent on him, him only, and I will never, ever do life alone again. So I'll challenge you all today, encourage you all to look at that acrostic and ask yourself if you can relate to any of those statements up there. I believe we all have some hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Are you willing to take that first step out of denial? It's the best step I ever took in my life, and I am proud to be one of those people. Thank you. I told you, he's contagious in a good way. Yeah, man. <laughs> Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation that the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I think that the blood of the lamb we understand as believers, right? That Jesus died on the cross for our sins, resurrected for our salvation, that there's victory in him. So what is it about testimony? I think in part testimony allows us to sit back and go, what God has done in one person, he can do in me. But if God's done that work in them and he loves all of us equally, right? He loves all of us. In other words, God loved us before we came to him totally. He loves us as we come to him and as we walk with him totally. And when we see what God's done in another person's life, there's this testimony of God's power. And we think, man, it's not just like, I hope he can do that in me. It's like, I know, I hope he can. I know, yeah, he can do that in me. And, 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 and the question is then, how has that happened? How has it happened? We've looked at it. We, we first have to allow the Lord to allow us to overcome denial. We've got to admit, admit we need him. We've got to admit we're powerless in our own strength to, to, to come to him, to, to, to be able to be transformed by him. We've got to admit he's all-powerful. 
but we also have to admit he's willing. We have to believe he's willing. In other words, it, it doesn't help that if we're just open and honest and, and, and say, God, I need you, and, and, and I don't have the power, and accept the fact that God has the power if we don't believe he's willing. It, it's the mercy and grace and, and love of God, his willingness that transforms us. It's what transforms us. And so we, I just want to challenge us as we look at what God is doing. We've looked at denial is defeated as we admit our weakness and come to Christ, opening ourselves up to the Spirit's work. Opening ourselves up to the Spirit's work. And so let me encourage us this morning, in a spirit of openness, acknowledge your hurts, your hang-ups, your habits before God. I can't tell you how many times I have just falsely believed But if I don't voice them to God, he can't see them. He already knows us. There's freedom and honesty. Satan uses the secrets we try to keep. He's powerless against those things that we make reveal to God. And by the way, to others. One of the things I I have learned about Celebrate Recovery, when I got here, everyone told me it's an anonymous thing. And it is. If you go and you share No one's going to share your story. They will not do it. I mean, they won't. I've never had that happen in the time I've been here. But they share theirs like crazy. Like I joke with Pastor Betty all the time. I go, I know who's in Celebrity Recovery because they come up and tell me. Because God's doing something in them. In them. And part of getting away from denial is realizing we're all one of those people. Like that's a lie of the enemy, that those people's a small group or it's another group or you don't want to be a part of that group. Well, whether you do or not, we are. And if you don't think you're one of those people, you're really one of those people. <laughs> like you're really, really one of those people. So it's, it's admitting, it's opening ourselves up. It, 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 it's, it's, let me encourage you, admit your need for God. Let me encourage you to take the next step he's calling you to take. I, I'm so thankful that, that, Greg, you got out of the car the second week. You know, that he got out of the car. Yeah, praise the Lord. But I think in every level, we understand not getting out of the car. We understand God taking us to a place, whether it's like in life or or figuratively, right? And we're there and God's calling us to it and and we're just not opening up the door. See, it does no good to, 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 to admit and not submit. Getting out of the car was submitting. Get out in a car was, was, was act of faith. It's trusting. And so I don't know where your car's parked this morning. Wherever God's calling you to be with him, will you get out of the car? Will you trust him? Let him do that work in you. Be open. Let him break this, this stronghold of denial in your life. Admit you don't have the power. Realize he's all-powerful. And then trust he's willing to do a work in and through you. Peace. Peace. Not just peace in paradise, but peace in the midst of the chaos today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for allowing us to continue to worship you through the looking and exploring of your word. Thank you that your word is living and active and that you use your word in, in amazing ways and that testimonies really uh, are telling the story, telling our story, but really how our story was intersected by your story. 
And, and I thank you for the words that we, we've looked at this morning from Paul, sharing from his life, his experience from Greg. Lord God, talking about how your power and how the truth of your word has been manifest in his life. God, I, I just pray that each and every one of us here this morning would just be open and honest before you. If we've yet to take that step to receive you as Lord and Savior, that we would do that even now in the quietness of our heart. That's the first step. And Lord God, in the series of next steps after that, every day when we realize we still need a Savior, we still need you to be Lord, we still need you to direct our steps, God, as we become more and more like you in character. I pray, Lord, that we would rest on your grace, would be motivated by your love, not fear. There's no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus, but motivated by your love. That you would take those of us who you've set free and, and let us walk in freedom. That that peace that we have with God would be translated into actual peace in Christ. Not just peace outside of chaos, but peace in the midst of chaos. As you've blessed our gathering here this morning, I pray as we scatter into our community that, that we would be ambassadors of your peace, that we'd be living testimonies of the difference that you make, that it would, that it would lead others to, to want to know more about you. God, thank you for your power. Thank you for the serenity you offer us in you that's possible only in you. May we grab hold of it. Lord, thank you just for loving us so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen.